Our scripture passage tonight is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It's going to be found in your pew Bibles on page 1892. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Maybe some of you are familiar with this, maybe some of you aren't. Back in the day when... um, it was kind of a hip thing, a cool thing to become uh, reformed. They were, there was this group of, of people called the Young Restless and Reformed. And they were, uh, there's this awakening of becoming Calvinists again, right? Um, and a lot of this had to do with these, these new um, uh, sort of Calvinist uh, celebrity pastors. Uh, some of which are still faithful today, like John Piper. John MacArthur, uh, R.C. Sproul, who's passed on, um, Albert Moeller with uh, Southern Seminary. Uh, But one of these, uh, you know, sort of new faces was Mark Driscoll at Mars Hill. There's actually a podcast out today. If you don't know, podcasts are sort of like radio for people who are um, younger. Yeah. there's a podcast out by Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of, of Mars Hill. This Mars Hill was this church that Mark Driscoll started out in Seattle. And uh, Mark Driscoll had this sort of personality. He had this charisma. And uh, he drew a lot of people to him. And this Mars Hill church blew up. And there were all kinds of uh, churches that were sort of uh, uh, spread off from him. And then all of a sudden there's these accusations that began to come out that he was... Uh, controlling and, and uh, manipulative and, uh, um, you know, all these uh, harsh um, and, and all these sort of characteristics. And, and it was an interesting thing because um, basically these elders had come around him were, and were basically saying you need to step down. The way that you're handling this environment that you've created is toxic, blah, 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 all these sorts of things. And it was an interesting thing because um, it was a situation in which nobody was coming out and saying Mark Driscoll had um, cheated on his wife. 
Nobody was coming out and saying Mark Driscoll had embezzled money. Uh, nobody was coming out and giving these kinds of uh, accusations against um, uh, Pastor Driscoll. Uh, the accusation that was given was that he was harsh. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He was controlling. Um, and, and this is what created this uh, environment of leadership at Mars Hill. Well, he stepped down um, for a season. And he... Uh, was saying, I need to step aside, let's to work through the situation. And then all of a sudden he said, never mind, I quit. And then you saw this whole complex of churches, Mars Hill churches, just implode on themselves. I mean, they all just were gone. And of course, Mark Driscoll did not humble himself to these elders did not decide to go under church discipline, uh, did not uh, decide to uh, go through a process of, uh, of dealing with the situation. He bowed out, and then uh, maybe like a, a year later, he was starting a new church in Phoenix, Arizona. So, I bring that all up because um, what we're talking about today is, is humility in the life of Christians. And not just Christians, but leaders of churches. Um, and all Christians. And how important that is. And um, as a um, cultural moment, I think something that's really uh, apparent is that the fact that Mark Driscoll lacked humility destroyed a lot of people's lives. In fact, I know... Um, a number of people who were involved in that situation who are no longer Christians today because of the destruction that happened in that environment. So, our theme tonight. All Christians. Are called be humble. Both leaders and members. Both leaders and members. All Christians are called to be humble, both leaders and members. So we got two points tonight. Humility in elders, leaders, and then humility in members. I'm just going to say leaders here so it'll match my theme statement. Let's talk about this first point. Humility in leaders. It covers the first uh, four verses of our passage tonight. Honestly, I, I really probably could have preached these two passages separately. Verses 1 through 4 and just talk about uh, leaders, elders in the church. And verses 5 through 7 talk about um, humility in the life of Christians. I could have preached them separately. But I think they're interconnected on purpose. I think that Peter is speaking of these things um, together in, in, a, in this topic 
um, to draw together the reality that all Christians are called to model Christ, to be like Christ, and Christ is, is humble. Uh, so, the first thing uh, that points us to this reality of Peter talking about humility uh, is that Peter calls himself an elder. He says in verse 1, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now this is interesting because um, at the beginning of Peter's letter, in uh, the very, very beginning, we read these words. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, what I find interesting is that oftentimes if you go to a church, a lot of churches these days, um, they'll, they'll say, you know, uh, apostle so-and-so is the pastor, right? Now, really the point of being called apostle so-and-so is to distinguish yourself from the rest of the people at your church. You're the apostle, okay? And I, and I get people can do this too with reverend or pastor, right? Uh, but Peter, he does uh, not take that honorific apostle to mean that he is somehow above or uh, over this church that he's writing to. He says to the elders that he's addressing, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. So that tells me that Peter does not see the apostleship that he has as something that makes him any different than an elder of a local church. You see what I'm saying? Peter is uh, representing, he's exemplifying the humility that he's going to then ask his elders, uh, the elders he's writing to, to express. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder uh, and a witness of Christ's suffering. So uh, he's an elder, but he's also an apostle. And I would tell you that uh, the uh, main requirement for being an apostle, I'm sorry for all the people who call themselves apostles today, is to be a witness, an eyewitness of Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. Okay. That's what earned you the title of apostle. Peter says, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He, he's saying, you, just like me, um, if we make it through this time, we're going to share together in the glory to be revealed. Very much so in the same sense in which Peter dresses um, husbands and he says to husbands, in the sense of considering their wives, being considerate of their wives, um, they are the weaker partner, but they're heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Okay? Um, fellow heirs. Peter says, I, just like you, am going to share in the glory to be revealed. Right? Um, and this is the second thing that we learn. Peter describes them the work of an elder. What does being an elder entail? Now, here in our church um, and other churches like ours, we have a book of church order. A book of church order is important because it tells us how our church is supposed to operate. It tells us how our church is supposed to function. And one of the things that the book of church order does is it actually lists out what are the duties and responsibilities of an elder. That's important, right? Because if you get a job, you need to know what exactly it is that you do. Now, a book of church order wouldn't be helpful if the duties and responsibilities that it entails 
contradict what the Bible says an elder should do, right? Um, so hopefully your book of shorter gives a great description of what an elder is supposed to do, that the, what the work of an elder is, um, in a way that reflects uh, the scriptures themselves. And one of those passages maybe that you would uh, format or you would model your book of short shorter section on the elders of the church after would be this particular passage. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and following. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. So this is what uh, Peter says. He says, shepherd. He describes the work of pastoring as a shepherd. That's really where the word pastor comes from. Um, he describes this as the work that an elder does. And it's very interesting that Peter says, I'm a fellow elder, right? Because when Jesus cooked them breakfast, and when Jesus said, Peter, come with me, let's take a walk. And when Jesus walked along with Peter, Jesus said some things to Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you, sir. Watch over my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. So Peter's not pulling this from nowhere. He's pulling this from the very experiences that he has had with our Savior Jesus Christ. He understands that the work of an elder means it's very much like the work of a shepherd. And this is language that we get from the Old Testament as well. The leaders were understood and described as shepherds. Shepherds who watch over the flock. Shepherds who care for the flock. Shepherds who feed the flock. Shepherds who make sure that the flock is protected. And make sure that, the, that no wolves come in and, and attack the sheep. And, and, and come after the sheep. Shepherds do these things. They count their sheep. They know who they are. They watch over them with great detail and great care. And, and they care for them. And they let no harm come to them. And so elders are meant to be spiritual shepherds. Be shepherds of God's flock. Because this is not our flock. It's God's. That's under your care. Serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing. Not must, but willing. I always say, um, when we're talking about, um, you know, who's going to be elder next or whatever, um, I always ask this pop quiz, 1 Timothy chapter 3, what's the first requirement um, for an elder? What's the first requirement? And some people say, well, you know, that's there. The, the first requirement is, is that, um, you know, they have to be uh, a wife of one man. Or the first requirement is, you know, all these sort of um, um, explanations given by, by, um, by Paul in 1 Timothy. It says, oh, you know, it has to uh, uh, be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-control. Nope, nope, actually that's not the first requirement. The first requirement that Paul says, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. So the first requirement of an elder is that they have to want 
to be an elder. Desire. And that's the same thing that Peter says. Not because you must, but because you are willing. Not because you must, but because you are willing. That is that there is this understanding that the Spirit of God works in the heart of, hearts of men to put in their heart a calling to be an elder. A desire to want to care for God's flock. To want to shepherd them. This is what we call an internal call. And often that internal call is then recognized and acknowledged by the church. Seeing those giftings in that person. And believing that God is calling them to this. We call this internal call, external call. Okay? Not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be. God wants a cheerful giver. Not a, I'll give. And God wants a cheerful elder too. Not somebody who, who's dragging their feet. I guess just let my name stand. I'll, I'll do it. You know, that's not what God wants. God wants somebody who's willing. But there's another thing. Not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. An elder should not be somebody who could use his position of power to pursue his fleshly desires. If you're greedy for money, then you can, uh, as an elder, maybe uh, make some of that money just like Judas fall into your pocket. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Eager to serve. Somebody who's greedy for money wants people to serve them. An elder is supposed to be somebody who serves others, okay? Who is willing and eager to serve the flock, to serve the church. What are ways in which an elder can serve the church? Praying for the members. Calling members. Saying, how are you doing? Is there anything I can be praying about? Serving the church, eager to serve the church by, by watching over the preaching that goes on. And saying, that sounded heretical. I always think about how things used to go in the Christian Reformed churches. I don't remember this because I haven't been part of the Christian Reformed church that long. But I heard that apparently all the elders used to come down and sit in the front aisle together. As the pastor preached. And basically that was supposed to be a testimony to the fact that the elders are there. What? We're watching you. We're watching you. Elders can serve the church by going out of their way to visit someone who's had to be in the hospital. Praying with them. Sending cards at the man. There's 
There's so many ways in which an elder can serve uh, to uh, embolden and to encourage the growing spirituality of the church. Call people and say, hey, have you been reading, reading God's word? Encourage them in it. These are things that elders can do. These are things that I can do. I would view myself much like Peter, as a fellow elder, right? And then Peter says in verse 3, not lording. Now this is important language because Peter is stealing this straight from Jesus' mouth. Jesus called all of his disciples to him because at one point they were all arguing about who was the greatest, right? They're all arguing about who's the greatest among them. I mean, whenever I read that, uh, in, uh, that whole scenario in the Gospels, I think to myself, it's like kids arguing at the playground about whose dad is cooler. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it just, but there they are, arguing about which one of them is the greatest. There they are, getting mad at these two brothers because they had gone to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, when you come into your glory, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand to either side of you? And, and, and this is what Jesus says. Come here, come here. I need to tell you something. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you need to be like this little babe sitting on my leg right here, on my knee. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you have to be the servant of all. And then Jesus tells them, you, I've called you not to be leaders like the Gentiles are leaders who lord it over who control and manipulate, who abuse their power. You know, and if I was going to put it in like normal language, I would say, listen, in the church, I've called you not to be totalitarians, communists, authoritarians. No. I've called you to be humble. Not loading it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Well, how do you be an example to the flock primarily? You do so in humility. You do so by showing to the congregation that you are, that you are uh, over, that you are shepherding, that you are gentle and kind and compassionate, that you are just like them. That you need Christ just like them. That you are not an uber-Christian or a super-Christian. Or, could I even dare say, you are not a domine. You're just a humble man that God has called to be a leader in his church. And every day you think to yourself... I'm not even worthy of this. And that's why you are. That's why you are. Be an example to the flock. Live the Christian life. And then finally we hear about the rewards. <coughs> Church. The rewards 
Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, that is Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter's saying, you'll inherit eternal life. You, you pursue the calling God has given you in, in this life. And you do it with humility. You do it the way that Christ has called you to it. You do it by exemplifying Christ. That when the chief shepherd comes, you'll get the crown of life that will never fade away. The crown of glory. This is no different than anybody else who's a Christian gets. Do you know what I'm saying? Peter's not saying that elders get some sort of special recognition or gift. They get the, the, the goodness that all Christians receive. The crown of glory. Christ. And you know what? When we all come before Christ, we take our crowns and we say, you deserve it. And we cast them at his feet. So the rewards of an elder is, is hearing those same words that all Christians see. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now come now into your inheritance. Come now. <coughs> All right, so that's uh, humility in leaders, verses 1 through 4. Let's talk about humility in members. Verses 5 through 7. In verse uh, 5, Peter gives a command to young men in the church. In specific. Young men, in the same way, um, this wording, in the same way, tells us that uh, this is in some fashion a reference to something he's already spoken of. To something he's already said um, um, all, already, particularly in the household code, he said, uh, um, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. And then he says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. And so you might sort of see verse uh, 5, chapter 5, as sort of uh, Peter's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to say this about, um, you know, the household codes. But Peter's putting this in the context of the household of the church, the economy of the church, right? And Peter's saying, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Um, be submissive. Um, <coughs> just like um, Peter called all of us to be sub submissive to uh, um, the, the leadership and the civil magistrate, right? Just like Peter called the slave to be submissive to his master. Just like Peter called the wife to be submissive to his, her husband. Just like um, all of these things wrapped into one. Peter's now saying also young men. Young men be submissive uh, to those who are older. Um, and this is important to know because, um, because young men tend to be prideful <laughs> and arrogant. Because they're so full of life that they think maybe they're invincible or they know what's right. I was a teenager once. And it's so interesting how the older you get, the more right your parents get. And here Peter is 
talking to young men in the church and he's saying, you should listen to the old men. You should listen to those who are older in the church. You should be submissive to them because they've lived life. They have some experience under their belt. And they, they, they if they're being like these elders that Peter has already talked to, who's, who's spoken to, if they're being humble, if they're being um, expressing humility, if they're not lording over those entrusted to them but being examples to the flock, then they desire what is good for them in the Christian life. And that's why I think one of the most important things in, in the church that in some ways we've, we've lost because we think it's important. We think it's important that uh, every uh, age group have its own little insulated thing. We have children's church and we have, um, you know, you, you go to, uh, you, you, you go to uh, some, some big mega churches and like the middle school, high school will have its own worship service apart from the adult worship service. And, and, and you know, one time I heard Vody Bauckham tell about the story that uh, he came to do a, you know, to do a speaking thing at, at one of these churches and this, this elder, this pastor picked him up from, from the, the, the airport and the pastor's driving him home and, and back to you know, the church where he's gonna do this speaking thing and the pastor says, hey Vody, will you be, please be praying for me? Um, you know, and for our family, because I just realized that my, my teenage uh, child has not been going to church. And this is the pastor, right? And Bodhi said, how do you not know that your teenage child is going not, how did you not know that they're not going to church? You know, and he said, well, you know, the, the, the high school age Worships in a different building. <laughs> I think that's the same thing Bodhi did. <laughs> anyway, I say all that to mean that what Peter's talking about here is intergenerational Christianity. Right? Sometimes you wonder if. The high schoolers feel like they're not really part of the church because they're not really part of that church. They have their own church. And that church doesn't really understand what we're going through. Intergenerational Christianity means young men get together with older people and they talk about what it means to be a Christian. And they relate. And they share their experiences about following Christ and living for Christ. And, and this, Peter says, is something that should be happening in the church. But in, in order for it to be something that's healthy, in order for it to be something that's good, Peter instructs the young men to honor the older people in the church, to submit to them. And then he gives command to everyone. Basically, what Peter's telling the young men in the church to do is to be humble. And then he says, all of you, all of you. Now we're all connected in this, okay? We can't get out of this one. This is speaking to all of us. Maybe some of you are like, well, I'm not an elder. And maybe some of you are like, well, I'm not a young man. <laughs> but now we're all being spoken to, Okay. All of you clothe yourselves with humility 
toward one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and then Peter quotes Proverbs 3, 34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The reason why Peter is calling us all to humility is because God operates in this way. His, his, his motive operandi is this. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want to be a recipient of God's grace, you have to display the humility that Christ displays. And this isn't because this is how you earn God's grace, but this is how God's grace transforms us and changes us. Nobody receives grace from God realizing that we do not deserve this salvation. We do not deserve to have our sins forgiven. Nobody understands their own sinful nature, their own sinful character, the things that they have done that have, uh, that have uh, offended God. Nobody understands that, that God himself had to humble himself and put on flesh, become a human being like us, live in this broken, fallen world that we messed up, that we broke. And then die on the cross as a criminal. Nobody believes that gospel and then is prideful and arrogant. The irony that Christians who believe in the doctrines of grace would be prideful and arrogant. When the doctrines of grace teach that you don't deserve salvation and you wouldn't have been saved if it wasn't for God in the first place. It's like dead people saying, I'm alive. I made myself alive. God should thank me for being saved. No, we're called to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves because, and we're not just called to have humility, to clothe ourselves with humility, but this humility is directed toward one another. It's almost like Peter knows that churches are um, a bunch of sinners who gather together to serve the Lord and to be in covenant with each other. It's sort of like when people get married and uh, the joke is that you better learn how to say sorry. Quickly. We have to have humility toward one another if we're um, going to love each other like Christ has called us to love. And then uh, finally, Peter talks about God's hand being over everything. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Peter's saying, Listen, I'm giving you this calling to, to clothe yourselves with humility because I know that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, but if you do this, you understand that you are under God's mighty hand. You're under God's mighty care. And, and when you humble yourself, God exalts you at the proper time. And, and Peter says this because he saw the humility of Jesus Christ. He believed the whole time that he was following Jesus Christ that one day Jesus was going to walk into Jerusalem and he was going to sit on the throne of David and he was going to become this great 
king that would take over the world. And Peter would be able to get part of that fame. He would be able to get part of that glory. He would be able to be a part of this great kingdom that Jesus was going to make. Just like Solomon created his great kingdom and all of his glory. And the queen of Sheba came to visit him. Peter and all the other disciples, they thought that was going to be how things went, right? Right? Instead, they became the followers of a guy who got killed on a cross. Well, there goes that dream. But what they didn't see, what nobody else saw, is that because Jesus humbled himself under God's mighty hand, even to death on the cross, God lifted him up in due time. And now, Peter sees Jesus seated at the right hand of God, not just over some sort of local Middle Eastern kingdom, but one day to be king and ruler over the whole earth. And he realized his vision was too small. So, if we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, we should know that the same way that Christ was humbled and then exalted, we will be exalted in due time. We'll be lifted up. And because of this, Peter says, even though you might be going through all kinds of humiliating things right now, even though right now what you're going through right now in your community is that some people are being uh, mean to you, some people aren't doing business with you, some people are speaking poorly of you, even though right now you can be going through a fiery trial, even though in your future, your very near future, could be harmful persecution to your very own bodies, Peter says, even though all this is happening right now, you must know. That humility leads to exaltation. Therefore, cast all your anxieties on Christ. Cast all your anxieties on God. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Mars Hill doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Mark Driscoll, even though he started a new ministry, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a shadow of what once was, and um, I don't think he should be even in the pulpit because uh, he avoided church discipline. He avoided uh, humbling himself. Um, now all, all his claim to fame is uh, the number one podcast on a lot of channels today. Christianity Today's The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Our theme this night, all Christians are meant to be humble, both Leaders and members, both those in positions of authority and both those who are in the pews, everyone's called to be humble, as Christ was humble. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great salvation. We thank you, Lord, that Christ expressed humility. We pray that we would be humble as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name.